Hi folks, welcome to the Besides and On podcast. My name is Scubar and we've got Monk again. How are you doing, son? Starting. You asked <laughs> <me> that again. <laughs> uh, different format for the podcast today. I'm just going to be introducing everybody. You're going to be hosting because you're smarter than me. <laughs> As it says on the website, we've got that there, so that's perfect. Is that uh, actually on the website? Yeah, it's actually that's on the amazing. website. I showed I'm Dad. Uh, I made the website. Why did I know that? You did, I. Uh, I showed Dad this yesterday and he just laughed the minute he seen that I was the smart, <laughs> less smarter of the two. So, obviously saying that in that sense. But uh, today we've got in Reverend Richard Baxter, who works uh, sorry, in Kennaway, and you've, you work in another few Ken- Kennaway well. Windy Gates. The official title is, I'm the minister, Kennaway Windy Gates and Balgoni St. Kenneth's. Right, right. Okay, yeah. And, uh, and what we'll do is we'll pass over to Craig to get this started. Smashing. Yeah. No pressure. No pressure. Uh, so, normally when we get people in who have like important jobs or they're well-respected in the community or whatever, I tend to research well okay. mm-hmm. and learn about them so that yep. I could look like I, ha- I know what I'm talking about yeah at least remember it to look like it and the the more I got into your background the more I got confused okay because the Catholic side is very easy to understand it's right. just Catholic you've got the Pope you've got mm-hmm. you've got an official voice in the church yeah. but on the Protestant side it tends to be a bit more different there's subsections of Protestantism uh, which as far as I know, believe different things. I'm, I'm pretty sure Mormonism is considered to be a part of Protestantism. Is that right? It would be an enti- almost an entirely separate branch yeah. of religion, completely. Would it? Uh, yeah, it's, most people would think of that something that's something other. Than yeah, Christian, I would have thought of that as well. I was on Wikipedia, so that yeah, didn't trust my yeah, information. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you can give us sort of like a, a general introduction to what you do, your titles, okay, what you sort of um, mean. Basically. As a Church of Scotland minister, my job is to be about for a whole community, to be around for a whole parish. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about all the different labels people use, because most of them are just about people who have slightly different styles of worship. A lot of them are about historic fallouts from goodness knows how many years ago that aren't that relevant to most people's lives most of the time. Um, Probably the reason why you get so many different churches is precisely because over the centuries, kind of... once you had an initial break, once the kind of Reformation happened and people decided, you know, we're not taking instructions from uh, fr- from one person and sitting in one city and, the, and all following the same set of rules. Once that structure was broken, then it kept chattering, kept breaking and joining together. So that's why you get this confusing jumble of different, yeah. different churches. Mm-hmm. Where the Church of Scotland sits in all that is it tries to be, to cover the whole of the country, to have somebody who is working in every area so that there's nobody who doesn't have a minister who will be about if they need them for things like weddings, funerals, rites of passage, all those kind of things. Um, so my job isn't to be the minister to the, the group of people who happen to choose to come to church, it's to be about for a whole community. That's that, that's probably as good a description as I can give. And we don't have anybody, as you say, like a a bishop or yeah, an authority there's, there's figure no who gives instructions sort of, is done on a kind of council basis. Is so there's no like equivalent to the Pope, no. for instance, right? No, like sometimes people think about the moderator of the General Assembly as being the most important figure in the Church of Scotland, but he's really just the person who happens to be the chairman and main spokesman for a year, and, right, then, he, yeah. and then somebody else will be doing it the next year. So every, everybody's supposed to have the same standing, the same status. Right. There are no promotions in the Church of Scotland. That's unfortunate. <laughs> That's, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, so when when we talk about the the difference between a 
Catholic and Protestant. Yeah. The official reason is that there were errors in the Catholic Church, and so the Protestant Church was set up to be sort of an opposite. Basically, yeah, basically what happened was right back in the 16th century, um, churches were were power structures and some of them were yeah. pretty corrupt. Um, and the Reformation starts with people saying, actually, can we get back to what the key things are, which are what the, what the Bible says and what uh, and what that's got to teach? And that's what... The, pretty much what the initial fallout was, was around. Mm. Now, all kinds of issues about power and politics and everything else got mixed up in that over the centuries. Um, it became very useful for rulers to kind of, of countries to think, if I break with the Catholic Church, guess who the richest people in my country are and guess whose land I can grab? I mean, that's what <laughs> happened in England, for example, yeah. with Henry VIII. Mm. So the history is very complicated. But for me, the really key principles are that... Um, first of all, people are supposed to read and think about the Bible for themselves, not have somebody else telling them about it. Yeah. Uh, and that religion's supposed to be personal. It's about my relationship with God, not my relationship with an organisation. Right. So that that's a, a very rough summary of how I would I would see the, the line. Right. So, now, I mean, Catholic and Protestant churches work very closely together. Yeah. I mean, to know um, in most parts of the the world and most places, you know. We, we have good friendly relationships, we'll do shared services and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, it's, it's just a diff, different brand of Christianity and different style of worship. So here's an offensive question. Okay. Uh, <laughs> right. Would you say that you personally chose to be a Protestant because you agreed with that church more than the Catholic Church or is it just you grew up with uh, Protestant surroundings? No, that, that, like, mo like most people, I started out from where I grew up. I grew up in Northern Ireland. Um, and my experience was of growing up as part of a Presbyterian church there. Right. And I guess, inevitably, your background shapes who you are to some degree. And mm -hmm. um, my understanding of my my own faith really partly comes through through that tradition of being, um, being encouraged to think and ask questions and challenge stuff and, you know, uh, debate things. So to me, that's pretty crucial. Yeah. Um, so I never consciously chose to be that. I suppose that's, um, but I also never consciously moved away from that because it fitted for my way of thinking and my my set of beliefs, I guess. But presumably yeah. you've sort of you've changed beliefs as oh, you've yes. grown up. Yes, things, things absolutely things change. Things change all the time, um, and beliefs don't stand still. If, if you just get a set of beliefs and stick with them for your whole life and never question them, yeah, it yeah. doesn't doesn't yeah, suggest yeah. a very healthy you know, kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. So lots of areas in my belief have changed. Lots of things. I mean, when I grew up in Northern Ireland, there was a very conservative strand to a lot of the Christianity there. There still is. Yeah, it still is. Um, mm. Which is probably not where I am, but you know, I would have a much more laid back approach than a lot of my. Uh, Fellow countrymen, yeah. for example, is abortion um, no still illegal in Northern Ireland? Uh, yes, I, I think it is. Um, I haven't lived there for thirty no, years, so yeah. I, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a very, it's a very different society. There's no question about it. It, it, it looks like Scotland forty years ago more than it looks like. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's normally an insult to Scotland that we look like another country forty years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> possibly, but I mean, I've lived in Scotland since it was it. Roughly since I was 18, so um, 
I've lived here a lot longer than I lived there. So despite the accent, yeah. uh, mm. that I, I probably have more more knowledge about what goes on in Scotland than what goes on in Northern Ireland. Yeah, I, I, I was I, I didn't know that actually. Yeah. Uh, I was assumed that you were when you first became a chaplain at my school. Mm-hmm. I was assumed that you were mm-hmm. fresh off the boat. As you say, <laughs> another offensive term. Yes, I was, no, I was, I was fresh out the training college, <laughs> but I wasn't fresh <laughs> off the boat. With a, um, and I, I came over as a student when I was eighteen. Uh, studied history in Edinburgh, then spent three years doing research on the alehouse and the authorities in seventeenth century Wiltshire. Down in Oxford. That must have been fun. Um, not <laughs> Sounds really. Like to, a laugh. to my surprise, by the end of it, I realised the only person interested in it was me. Uh, <laughs> so that kind of was a bit of a dead end. I then ended up as a tax inspector because I wanted any job that was in Scotland or Northern Ireland. I just didn't want to stay down in Oxford. Right. Um, so I ended up as a tax inspector because they've got offices everywhere. Did that right. for about five years. Left, worked for a couple of years as an, for an accountancy firm, helping rich individuals to pay less tax. Absolutely <laughs> loathed that as a job. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> it was, really didn't sit comfortably with me. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of years of that, um, realised that I just needed a complete change of direction, and that, that that's when I went back to train as a minister. Can I ask, what, what's the process of you getting into training for a minister? Right. Um, it's a good question. I'm, I'm surprised the, I didn't think of that. There's there's a couple of stages to it. The, now they have a kind of inquiry system where if somebody's interested in it, they'll attach them to a local church for about six months mm-hmm. to do bits and pieces, to work alongside somebody, to get a feel for whether something they've got interest in, a gift for. They'll then go to um, a selection conference where they'll look at things like people's ability to, to just to, to develop an argument, to get on with people. They'll do interviews with psychologists, all that kind of stuff. Uh, they'll need to get approved by the church in the local area as somebody who's suitable to train, where yeah. people know their personality, know their background. And then they'll usually need to do uh, a, some kind of theological qualification, which is generally... If you've already got a degree, it's usually a three-year course. Um, and following that, you do an 18-month probation, which is sort of the apprenticeship bit, right. where you work with somebody experienced and learn from them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's roughly the process. So it's not quick. Um, well, I was going to say that, aye. <laughs> so I, when, I, when I went back to train, it meant that, although my kids were <clears throat> small at the time, um, it meant kind of going back to three years without a salary. Um, right. <laughs> to get back to roughly fifty percent of what I was earning before, yeah. so it's uh, it's it's <laughs> not the smartest move in the world financially, but mm-hmm. it, in terms of personal satisfaction, is the best thing I ever well, did. Well, we've been told so that <laughs> this is not the best idea financially. But that's again, right. it's a labour of love. Basically, you have to do something that you're really, really interested in, and to get yeah. a, a lot of people are stuck in this thing where they feel that they have to be going out and doing kind of the worst possible thing they have mm-hmm. to do just to make money to yeah. keep their kids yeah, going. Yeah. Whereas you uh, went uh, in, the, in yeah. a different direction of just doing something that you actually really want really, to really do. Want to do. So yeah, like, life's not long enough to do something that makes you miserable. Um, and what makes one person content and satisfied will make somebody else miserable. So you have to yeah. discover for yourself mm-hmm. what what the things are that really fire you up and get you going and to, to look for something that uses that to they're working that's how I would say. How, how old were you when you decided? You I would this? have been about, let's think, probably about 30, early 30s. Yeah, right, right. Um, that's cool. See, normally when, when you hear about uh, mm. priests or ministers or whatever, they tend to grow up sort of knowing they wanted to be in that mm. position. Mm. But for you, it seemed to be a bit different. 
That's right. Um, I I mean, I, I, when I was young, I did still have an involvement in a local church, and I, you know, I was taking part in groups and activities around it, but I had no desire to to be doing any kind of ministry role. Um, mm. I think the things that probably got me involved was initially it was music, actually, because I, got involved, yeah. I started... Um, playing with a band in a church I was in and helping with leading bits of services. Mm-hmm. And then I found myself sitting listening to what was going on and you know, I'd hear the first three minutes of a talk and then after that I'd be away off my own head making up my own ending to it. <laughs> I thought, well, if you're going to do that, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe it's time. And I started thinking, well, it didn't tell anybody because, as I say, I had a young family at the time who couldn't have thought of a worse time to give up uh, on having a job and I had a, what other people would have thought was a good job even though I hated it. Um, so I didn't say to anybody, but I came home one day in, a ter- in an absolute rage, threw the briefcase in the corner, put my coat down on top of it, and before I sat down, my wife said to me, why have you never trained as a minister? Mm-hmm. And I'd been thinking about it and hadn't told her. So that right. was kind of the kick up the backside <laughs> I needed to think, look, it's not just your idea to get on with it. You know, that was that was roughly where, where I That seemed to be a perfect yeah. timing. Yeah, <laughs> well, uh, that's right. I mean, you, you can imagine what it would feel like to go home to... Um, uh, a family who are entirely dependent on your income to say, oh, by the way, I'm going to give this up yeah. to do something that I feel like. <laughs> it might, you know, so if it hadn't been her idea, it might not have been very popular. So I'm glad it was. She, she yeah, knew yeah. before me. <laughs> uh, that's good. That was that's good. I wanted to talk to you a wee bit as well. Um, probably around about that time, you would have had to figure out that you would have to do some sort of public speaking yes. at that point. Yes. Were you comfy, comfy with that at the beginning? Or? Um, it takes a bit of getting used to. Mm-hmm. I had done little bits of it because when I was working as a tax inspector, one of the things I did in my spare time was to help out with an Oxfam campaigns group. Mm-hmm. And that involved a certain amount of public speaking, you know, introducing speakers and meetings yeah. and debates and whatever else. Uh, so I had a wee bit of experience of that. I'd also had some experiences of doing things disastrously badly because I remember having to make a speech when I colleague was retiring at work one time and I made such a hash of it it was a disaster <laughs> I, I told a joke that made no sense because oh. I, I missed the bit that needed to be in it for the punchline to mean anything do you remember and that I, joke oh, I, I, I can but the pain of repeating it would probably be such that I doubt that it, <laughs> and I would probably get it wrong again oh. and, I, and I, there was this complete um, what do you call this complete silence this um you know, the moment the westerns where the the dust the bowl rolls, yeah, yeah the tumbleweed yeah. moment uh, <laughs> and, I, and I just thought what have I done what have I done? <laughs> have such I, a painful experience and, and uh, to, to, to get up and do public speaking again after that was a little bit challenging but I guess just do wee bits and gradually learn what learn the process and mm-hmm. truthfully now it's not something that takes a lot out of me the thought that I've got to speak to a group no um Oh, different different groups, different settings. You know what it's like. They all have to. You have to pitch it to each group. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one of the things I enjoy. I mean, I enjoy trying to think how will that, how will something communicate to this group of kids or this group of adults or this group of people who are celebrating a wedding or sad at something that's happened in their family. How am I going to get get something that will be meaningful for them? Mm-hmm. That's part well. Of the, we were part actually going to ask you to bring the guitar. All right. But we thought that would be a bit gimmicky. 
So we didn't <laughs> realize we didn't happily done that. Oh, what? That'd be cool. Because we'll always remember, like, you've uh-huh. been in school, like, yeah, assemblies yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Strike a Light was uh, All right, the original. Yes, that was one uh, I couldn't find it on YouTube. No, that's 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 my song. That's, yeah. I wrote that. The, uh, we were actually spent about an hour looking for a. I found one, songs. Uh, but I can't remember what it was called. I've, I wrote that with uh, actually with a class in Kennaway Primary School. Right, right. You, you when I was a, before when I was a student before I even finished my training as a minister, I spent a summer working here, and I wrote that with a class that was a P seven class, so that will now be roughly twenty just over twenty years ago. God. Um, and we just sat down and said, what would we write a song about if we were writing a song? And that's what we came up, came up with. So. <laughs> and it's been rattling around schools ever since. But since that's, that's that, that was always the most famous. Uh, if uh, any time I'm at like a party uh, or something like that, we had loads of people from Gainway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll always be like, remember, uh, remember assemblies, remember strike a light. And okay. we'll always kind of hear laugh. That would explain why it occasionally gets sung at me in the street. Then, <laughs> <laughs> do you still get that? Dude? Once in a blue moon, you, yeah. you, you, somebody walking down the street, and you think some some of their mid twenties were walking down the street, and they, they, they spot me and say hello, and then as you walk past, you catch this little snatch of a song. I thought, what? <laughs> But no, but yes, in a nice way. Good, it's it's good, yeah, it's yeah. It, truthfully, if you have something that will stick on people's heads, mm. then that's worth the candle. That's worth the effort. Yeah, I mean, so how, how, it's old, not, how old are you when you leave primary school? Eleven. Eleven. So yeah. So, the, so if you're so keeping it for yeah, nine, ten years, yeah, no, yeah, and ask them what else they remember from when they were eleven that they did <laughs> exactly, in school. Exactly. That's it. Yeah, that's pretty much the only thing I remember. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, I've lost it. Right, the Bible. Yeah. There's, there's presumably a big part of what you believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you a literalist? Or do you sort of, <laughs> another offensive term, do you pick and choose, sort of? Right. Okay. Feel free to explain that better. Yeah, that, that, that's okay. Um, first of all, my core, the core understanding that I have is that the the Bible is God's way of speaking to people. Right. Now I don't think God's stuck to one way of talking to people. He can talk different different styles and say different things mm-hmm. to different people. Um, so I'm not a literalist in the sense that I ha- I have to read everything in the same style. Right. Something that's a letter isn't the same as something that's a poem, and yep. something that's um, I don't know um, a history isn't the same as something that is maybe a, a, bit of, a bit of theology to get people thinking. So I'm not a literalist in the sense that I think I would ever think of just, oh, grab one verse out of nothing, totally out of context, apply that, that means exactly what mm. this translation says yeah. it means. I think God gave people brains with the intention that they, they didn't switch them on and engage them and use them when they think. You know, um, maybe I should give you an example of that. Probably, let me give, probably the example that most often comes up would be the one about you know I quite regularly get asked about my my views on a kind of seven day creation for example. Oh, that was That's, the next question. I kind of guess that was maybe coming down the line. <laughs> um, now to me, I don't see anything remotely incompatible between the kind of understanding that comes from from modern science and and Christian faith. Uh, and the reason that I don't is that for me what a creation story in the Bible is doing is saying, here's why the world's here and here's why it's like it is. Mm. And what to me that's saying is, the world's here because it's not an accident, it's got a purpose, it's here because God wants it here. Uh, and 
sometimes that purpose goes wrong. I don't think that's in the least incompatible with the kind of science that um, of, of, of the, the origins of the universe and all the rest of it, mm -hmm. because the creation story isn't to me about seven days. That's not. Yeah. That's just the, the way it's described. I mean, to me, you can take it literally if you like, and plenty of Christians do, uh, and they're entitled to. But I don't think God goes about fooling people by setting a whole lot of evidence in place to kind of this will fool them into thinking things are millions yeah. of years old. You know, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, um, there, there's so, an argument that uh, when God says a day, it doesn't mean a day. To, that's uh, possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So but, sort of, but I mean, nobody pretends anyway that the you know, that story is supposed to be a first-hand account. In fact, quite deliberately at the beginning of of Genesis, there are two completely different creation accounts. Yeah. Now, the reason to have two is nobody was there. Nobody yeah. saw it. Um, they weren't doing science-based evidence to, to come up with answers. They were trying to explain the world they were in now, not the, not the beginnings of it. They were saying, why is there a world with all this stuff? Why is there so much variety about Why are things different? Why did people struggle to make sense of it? And coming up with answers to that seems to me what, you know, what the Bible contributes to that discussion. So, I, for example, I quite often go up to some of the um, regular lectures and debates that happen up in St Andrews where the theology and physics department work together uh, mm -hmm. and they have people who come from both and they do interactive uh, lectures with people from, from both backgrounds and sharing their insights and their understanding. Um, 30 years ago, that would never have happened. Yeah. yeah but yeah. actually now, so many leading scientists are in the position of... Um, of being at least open to the possibility that uh, something which they might not want to call God, but something which is beyond the scientific processes that they see, maybe be part of what what's around us. That there's a much more healthy openness and discussion and debate. Yeah. So I probably just said enough to get me hung in some in some circles in some <laughs> churches. Totally. Uh, but I mean, as I say, my understanding <clears throat> is God wants people to think. Yeah. And I doubt that he plants evidence to kind of mm. like a like a bad police procedure. That, that it's, kind of always, off the track. it's always confused me that the 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 idea that the devil has put a uh, dinosaur fossils into the ground. Uh, to sorry, that, into. Yeah, that that to me is wacko. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that that concept. It's an American thing, in fairness. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think you'd find too many people no. in, in Scotland who would hold to those kind of. So <laughs> the, the maybe devil, few, but it's a question I never thought yeah. about. Do you believe in the devil as well? Was is I, There's a difference between Satan and Lucifer, as far as I'm... I mean, a lot of this comes down to people trying to read passages of poetry in very literal ways. But my thinking is that I don't think it's arguable that there's evil in the world. There is, because you can see yeah. it and you can see its consequence all the time. The question is, is it random or is it in any sense personal? Um, and I reckon that because Jesus appeared to treat it that in some sense it was personal, that seems to me, as much as I know, um, it's, not a, it's not a subject I get hung up about or spend a lot of time thinking about, um, but I would, I would certainly be inclined to the view, yes, there is something personal that, you know, but behind some of the evil that we see in the world, but that... But I would never say that in a way that excused people's responsibility for their own choices. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's the risk people use. Oh, oh the devil made souls would do that. No, you made a bad choice. You yeah. know, um, the, uh, that's so. That's really where I would come from on it. Yeah, if you ask me, 
the Neil McCullers of the Mast, I would say there is something personal um, making the world a worse place than it, would, than it would, might otherwise be. Um, but truthfully, but it's not but, literally that, a big, a big oh, demon so, I mean, man. The, the, the daft stuff <laughs> with the costume with tails, no, that's silly. Um, but in the same way that I believe God is personal, it, it makes sense to believe that uh, while in, 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 in no way would I kind of have a picture of the devil as anywhere equivalent to God, as my, my, you know, but um, you know, if it makes sense that God's personal, I don't really see why uh, a force opposed to God couldn't be personal as well. Right. Don't ask me to prove that because I can't. <laughs> um, so Not, I, I was, I was <laughs> just, but, but you, you, you asked for, ask for an opinion. Yeah, yeah. That's that's my opinion. That's the way I would read. This it. is this is the things that I like. I like opinions. I mean, I could I could easily have started this into a debate and been uh, a bit of a knob about it, but it's not interesting to me at this no, point. No, I, I'm more yeah. interested in finding out what okay. you actually believe. Yeah, instead yeah. of Because mm-hmm. yeah. again, the, person, the persons, the podcast are kind of personal experiences yeah. and we talk about all that kind of stuff. So just to get into a debate like you were thinking about that just there would be... Kind I mean, of I've been in debates mm-hmm. about theology and stuff and yeah. some of the things you hear are kind of... That not even even you would be on my side in a lot of these debates. I'm entirely sure people. you're right. Yeah, yeah. Like getting told that uh, I'm a devil worshiper because I don't believe in God and stuff. <laughs> like, like really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if if I don't believe in God, what's the chances that I'm going to believe if, in a devil? Yeah. Well, and first of all, who was ever persuaded to a particular form of belief, any form of belief, to believe in anything, by being given a hard time, abused, criticised, or or talked down to that? That doesn't work. I mean, my perspective is that I think that in the person of Jesus, there's something special that kind of make people's lives better, that kind of can do something really positive, that his message is overwhelmingly positive. The only time you see him really giving people a hard time and criticizing them and doing them down is when they're, by and large, when they're religious people are hypocrites. He yeah. gives them a hard time. You're not you know they they get it in the neck. It wasn't a big for fan of the rich. For, no, for uh, it wasn't. Well, that's true. But for, for everybody else who kind of screws life up occasionally, whatever else, he has an approach which seems to be um, positive, encouraging, yeah, challenging. But but it's not based on knocking people's mm-hmm. um, uh, sense of self, and and I think that that's the kind of approach. That is therefore the right approach that Christians and Christian churches should yeah. have too. Um, that's that's my logic to it. I I would want people to see something so attractive they can't do without it. Not people to be not something that they're so frightened of, frightened to miss that they yeah you know yeah. that which was the old fashioned kind of tradition to some degree. Um, mm. You know, you scare the living daylights out of people, and then they're bound to come and join your church. Well, yeah, yeah. no, that doesn't work. Yeah, you know, show them something that's so good. That why would anybody not want it? That's Mm. that comes into so many aspects of social life as well mm. I mean yeah. this is one of my biggest problems with the, the pro-yes movement right now uh, after we voted no oh, right, yeah. the mm. pro-yes movement turned really nasty mm-hmm. and I was pro-yes I still am mm-hmm. but just hearing some of the people just everybody that said they voted no is just yeah. getting really hammered and yeah uh, it seems uh, and that that I was part of that as well. I was part of that for a a day or two, and then I thought, "This is you're." you're There's a form of fundamentalism in that that, that's always dangerous. You know, the kind of fundamentalism that says, "I cannot possibly be wrong in any shape, manner, or form," Mm -hmm. and therefore everybody who disagrees with me is either stupid or bad. Um, 
And that doesn't work in politics, it doesn't work in religion, it doesn't work in almost any aspect of life. You know, I think all of us need the humility to say, this is my opinion. Bits of it might need fixed or corrected or changed or developed. Um, This is what I think. And if you disagree with me, well, you disagree with me. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you somebody who thinks differently. Um, And that that seems to me part of treating people with respect. Mm -hmm. Mm. So... uh, it doesn't seem like you believe in any sort of uh, heaven or hell in a, 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 a literal sense. Do you, do you believe in afterlife or anything? Yes, like I do. Um, because uh, let me let me put it into a bit of context. Because usually when people use those kind of terms, they have pictures in their head, yeah. right? Um, you know, the, the idea of of heaven as some kind of um, some kind of far away place. With, Clouds and hearts Clouds. and angels. You know that, that that's not that is that yeah. is not a picture that I find helpful. And equally, the picture of you know the, the old fashioned picture of kind of of, of hell as some kind of place of torment. Those aren't pictures that I find useful. What I find helpful is um, the the idea. First of all, there's more to us than our physical bodies. Uh, that there, in some sense, we don't finish at at the point where people die that my picture of heaven would simply be life in the presence of god and my picture of hell is life without the presence of god right now, actually the bible says a lot more about that kind of being something that develops in an earthly setting than it does about some faraway place but one of the reasons, for example, why I can stand up and say something in the context maybe of a funeral service is that I will use something like maybe a picture that Jesus gave about a future which he said something like, in my father's house are many rooms. In other words, a place for all kinds of people. Um, and talked about going to prepare a place. For, well, I mean, to me, the one person who ought to know best says there's something else. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't have a detailed description of it. Uh, where the clouds and angels stuff comes from, I don't know because that's certainly not in the, really part of the biblical picture. But I think it just makes people happier to think that. that well, maybe. people, yeah, but that's that's true. As an old but I wouldn't, I couldn't say that if I thought it was wishful thinking. If I thought it was just, mm. oh, that's, you know, I've heard people, for example, say to kids, "Oh, um, oh, Granny's a star in the sky." I'm thinking, no, she isn't. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you're did lying not, to that child. I did not expect you to call me like because that's the kind of thing we would say. Uh, yeah. We did not expect uh, that. Uh, yeah. So I, I won't say stuff if I don't genuinely think it's true. Yeah, uh, and therefore I won't pretend I can describe what um, uh, what any kind of afterlife is like. I can just use the picture, the kind of picture that Jesus gave of saying like, "Best picture is a family home with a welcome for everybody." That, but that's a good enough picture for me, um, or, or things like that, which are not literal descriptions. Mm. It's just given a sense of you know, there, there's something more. This uh, there's more to you than just your physical body and its limitations, and therefore, that's mm. that's where my thinking comes from. So, so to you, uh, heaven would be sort of the equivalent of a family house with God. So heaven would be a family kind house of, without, yeah. without But that might, but I mean, that's obviously because it's of... Simplistic, yeah, it's simplistic. It's simplistic, but then the I... Image again. Yeah, I know, but, uh, but uh, yeah. it's the, the thing where uh-huh. uh, when, if you don't believe a certain thing, uh-huh. some people say you're going to hell. 
I'm trying to understand what right. that, what that say, would be I, like. Okay, for, mean, for us as atheists, yeah, yeah, yeah. we, we are mm. constantly told, not, not in Scotland, right. but mm. we are constantly mm. told by Americans that we're going to go to hell okay. and stuff like this. So I'm trying to get a, a rough right. picture of what right. that would mean. Well, yeah, right. Okay, uh, well, my understanding, my perspective is that God gives people choices and if the key purpose of of what he's trying to do is to say to people you know, I want you to have a meaningful worthwhile relationship with me you can't have a meaningful worthwhile relationship by forcing somebody into it yeah so he can't make your choices for you uh, so therefore you have to be free to choose or not choose um, to a relationship that he offers just as you know in any human relationship you either have to be free to go in it or not in it or it's not a relationship yeah, it's, yeah. it's abuse um, and so therefore I think I would see that as saying he, if God's saying right here's the relationship I have on offer here's how I make it an offer through um, coming and sharing your human life you would say but not forcing you to do anything just this is this is what it's like this is what I've got mm-hmm. Um I think he leaves us free to make a choice and not to have that or not have that. So I don't have this idea in my head of, you know, the kind of punishment side of stuff, which is where these some of the yeah. extremists you're talking about might come from. I think that um, it's simply a lost opportunity, is how I would read it, because it's a lost opportunity for the for the relationship that we're made made to enjoy. Mm-hmm. So that that would be my picture, um, but also. I would say very clearly that I'm never in a position to know somebody's own personal relationship to God. That's between them and God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can never second guess that and I would never try. And for that reason, I never try to say you know, what anybody's situation is. It's up, That's between them and God. It's not, it's not, yeah. not, mm-hmm. I mean, my, my business is to say, here's the good news. God offers this. Uh, what people do with that is up to them. Um, and how they express it is up to them because they don't have to express it in my words. Yeah. I mean, plenty of people with a very deep and strong and personal faith who wouldn't describe it in any of the words that I use. And I think that's perfectly legitimate, perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I'm the not... The question is I'm whether not, they I'm would not, think the same about they, your words. Well, they, they, might, they might well not. And that's, up, again, that's their choice. Yeah, you, can imagine, yeah. you, you can imagine plenty of contexts where... My, my views would be enough to get me in a lot of trouble. Yeah, so, there's plenty yeah. of people who uh, would not be saying what you've yeah. said. Especially yes, in America. Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's right. Um, I think it's a good thing, though, that yeah. mm-hmm. you could send a minister from Scotland in America and uh, it just shows how completely different a society is, like yeah. a left-wing minister in a conservative place in America I, I they've did, got the same basic belief uh, system uh, but it's totally uh, different a number of years ago I did an exchange with a minister in the States wow uh, where about in the States Virginia southern oh, in, uh, it's down the Shenandoah Valley <laughs> and it was it was really interesting I really enjoyed it uh, we swapped houses jobs cars for a month um, and some things were perfectly similar I mean bits of the kind of church culture are a bit different but the things that some of the things that were different really stood out a mile. Yeah, you know, I couldn't believe that people thought it was all right that you could walk into Walmart and buy a gun. 
But <laughs> yeah. I went to the, the, the shop at the top of the room where he stayed, mm -hmm. uh, bought a couple of bottles of wine, and the woman in the shop heard my accent and asked me who I was and where I was from. And I was explained to her, I'd done a swap with the minister. Mm -hmm. And she looked into my basket in horror and said, you can't buy that. I said, why can I not buy a couple of bottles of wine? I'm over, I'm over 25, <laughs> whatever age limit you've got here. And she says, but you're a minister. Ministers can't have that. And I said, well, in Scotland they can. And handed her my money. <laughs> and, you know, but you know, it didn't occur to her as odd that I could have gone to the shop and bought a gun, but a bottle of wine? Oh, no. What are we doing with that? <laughs> I, you know, but, um, I wonder what she would have said if you bought a gun. I don't think she would have. She wouldn't have argued about the wine. No, but just to actually think about that for a second, that if you'd bought a gun, it wouldn't have come into question because it's. I don't think it would be allowed. They didn't have a I don't know because they didn't try. Well, that's the thing. But there's still a cabinet in the supermarket in Walmart. They call it Asda. That's the thing that I just and nobody thought that was odd, and I thought that was odd. That that in America is is a defence. Thing. Yeah. Uh, no, so if, defense so, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so you would have if you had bought the gun, there would have been mm. no questions that you were just trying to defend your home or something like that. Supposedly, yeah. But if you mm. but yeah. the, wine the wine has become the issue. Yeah. That's yeah. why I found funny yeah. when we were talking yeah. about yeah. that. Yeah. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Uh, so. <laughs> so, so was he here then? Yeah. Oh, yes. I wish I'd known that. It was, it was oh, a great guy. Where was this? He would have thought just the same as me. He no guns uh, here. Maybe 10, 15 years ago. No, oh, no, it wouldn't necessarily have been hit. You know, mm. He would have, his thing wouldn't have been a million miles from mine, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yes, I mean, there were things that he probably thought were... I mean, there's just culture differences. You know, yeah. they, they would go for a day trip and drive around Loch Ness. And I was thinking, what? That's a week's holiday in Scotland. Yeah, yeah but, that, but in distance, that was a day trip to them because that's how far yeah. they went for everything. Oh, yeah. Um, you yeah, know, you forget how big yeah, America is. Just little is things that you that's don't... It's do, only an hour drive away. Yeah, yeah. But really? Mm -hmm. When I'm going to Glasgow, I have to book a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> like, Glasgow's like two and a half hours away. After two and a half hotel. hours? What route do you go? Yeah, on the bus. On the I get bus, there, on all right, the bus, I was going to say, I get there an hour and a half. And I'll even do it legally. Sometimes. Trains and buses like two and a half hours to get through. Yes, that's right. Obviously, just because of the distance to here, and because Kennedy's a bit kind of out of the way, yes. the kind of city links yes. and stuff like that, you have to get a hotel to stay. Yes. But that to an American is just absolutely ridiculous. Yes. That's just that's, that's how far you go for a cup of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Their public transport system sucks, doesn't it? Not? There's a lot of buses that go, like uh, there's a big, huge uh, coach tradition that goes in from like all the small towns mm -hmm. and they go through absolutely mm -hmm. everywhere as well. But that's the truth is, because everybody drives everywhere. Yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. You, I mean, you drive a hundred yards for a pint of milk because there isn't anywhere to walk a lot mm. in a lot of communities. You know, there isn't a, there isn't such a thing as a pavement. You can't yeah. safely mm. do anything other than get in your car and I go. I was uh, speaking to a lassie from Wyoming, mm -hmm. and she explained that there's literally not a public transport link outside mm -hmm. of her state. I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> there isn't a. She said yes. there's a train, but it's like two hours away. Mm -hmm. So I'm like. There's nothing there. If you've not got a car, you're yes. knackered. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Is it good to go drive automatics? Yes. I suppose the same as here. If you're in the big cities, you don't really need a kind of car. There's always a public transport system. That's right. And everything's used. But at least you have. Distance. At least you, you have. have. That as well. Yes. If you start in this, if you start in a city centre and you're mm -hmm. going to another city, you're you're in reasonable shape. Yeah. 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 Um, when you start somewhere remote and try to get somewhere else remote and you can have a challenging time yeah. in your house. Yeah, well, trying to get a bus for here to Kirkcaldy is about an hour. Even at that, uh, like we've had people come for Glasgow and stuff because I, I do another thing, uh, another podcast. 
getting people to come for Glasgow, the difficulty to go through trying to get here. Right. It's just yes. it's hilarious sometimes. Yes. Yeah, you pretty much rely on GPS to get here. Yeah, yeah, if you've not yeah. got that, you're yes. sort of knackered. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, oh, what should I go with next? Here's one. Uh, so, I'm assuming you've heard of UKIP. Yes. Right. You're a supporter of UKIP? Am I a supporter of UKIP? No, I'm not a supporter of UKIP. Uh, let me... Uh, basically, I'm not a supporter of any kind of politics that's based on suspicion of other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I... I think... I understand why UKIP has arisen. I cannot understand why they get the levels of support they get. Uh, to me, a fair proportion of the people that they've put forward for election are absolutely barking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that, that's not disparaging the views of people who, who hold some of their, their principles, but the people they've put up for election have by and large been absolutely barking mad. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a gay guy who's one of the mate. I think he was the only elected MP in Scotland. The MEP. They've got a Scottish MEP. MEP. Yeah, yeah that's who's right. gay and against yeah. gay marriage. Yeah. Mm. Well. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's uh, yeah. That, that's his call. But you know, the thing is, their big issue is about uh, is by and large about immigration. They, yeah, ta- yeah, they, yeah. they talk about it being the EU, but it really is about immigration. And it seems to me that what gets missed in all of that is that there isn't anybody in Scotland who isn't an immigrant. Because 10,000 years ago during the Ice Age, there was nobody here. Yep. So we're all immigrants. We're just, it's just a case of how recent. Yeah. Um, so the idea that there's something suspicious or dodgy about people moving yeah. from one country to another, to me, is, is crazy. I mean, all of the great innovations and uh, all, the, all the creativity that comes, comes from people mixing their ideas and hearing ideas from other places. Now I know there are challenges and you've got, you've got to manage how you can deal with public services and how you can, yeah. how you can have things happening in a way that's, that's at least to some degree organised. But the notion that there's this huge threat because people from other parts of Europe want to come and live and work here or even people from other parts of the world want to come and live and work here just seems to me mad because anybody who's going to come is going to be somebody probably who's most likely to be working age fairly determined if they have the determination to get here in the first place they're going to contribute to the, the economy where they go uh, and, you, and you think what country wouldn't want that but I mean I, I know there are sp- specific pockets where there are problems but it doesn't make any sense to me that you would try to stop a flow of new New people, new ideas, new talent. So, do you do you support the refugee? I thing? think Britain has been hopelessly inadequate in its response so far. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, and I know that because of the numbers that are are involved all around the place, the UK can't do everything that needs done. Yeah. But frankly, we have done so little; it's been next to nothing. I think it's what twenty thousand. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, that, that's, well, that's embarrassing. Yeah, that's five embarrassing. Five it's only a, a couple, of, well, just yeah. below two hundred. What was the number seen for Germany? Two million. Two something something like that. Something like that. And, and you know what? Twenty years from now, the German economy is going to be brimming with new companies, new ideas, new developments, and that's exactly where they're going to have come from. I mean, Germany's already better than the UK, yeah. and, yes. and, and yes. like socially and yes. economically. So, I mean, I, I think that, for example, if the money that has been spent in keeping the kind of couple of thousand people who are sitting in Cali in, in 
you know, from, from crossing the Channel Tunnel, if you'd given each of those people a million pounds each and said settle in the UK and make a business with that, it would have been considerably cheaper yeah. than trying to keep all the fences and the security and everything else. Yeah, yeah. And it's happened, you think, well, where's the, where's the sense of proportion? Or where's the sense of proportion in allowing people to drown between Turkey and Greece instead of just saying, you know what, people smugglers, your, your business model's gone because we're offering a free ferry for anybody who wants it. You know? <laughs> and all of a sudden, you, you have... You have taken a lot of the harm out of the system. You get the same number of people in at the end of the day. You just do it in a managed way. Yeah. Um, and it just seems to me the lack of imagination, the lack of compassion that we've seen from Britain and truthfully most of the other EU governments as well yeah. has been just shameful. There's a, a similar point there mm-hmm. about a Trident. I'm against Trident. Yeah. Um, a well, we'll not argue on that. <laughs> but I think there, there's a hundred million pounds we could use for better things. Well, <laughs> uh, what is the, the the price to renew it was an astronomical amount of money. I can't remember yeah. the actual. Mm. Um, 162 billion is on my I mean, head, yeah, but yeah. I might have got that mixed up. Yeah, that, that that's the kind of top end figure that gets quoted by. But, I mean, the government would would say it's a lower number than that. Yeah. but it depends how you count. So. But put it this way, more money than you've got, more money than I've got, (laughs) and more money than is needed to solve a whole lot of problems in this country. They're saying that uh, there's people that are defending it because Mm. it holds 550 jobs, and somebody pointed out that you can give them each Mm. a million pounds, and you're still saving whatever amount of money that is. If If something is wrong in principle, the fact that keeping it save jobs doesn't seem to me a good argument. No. Um, for example, the government has had quite a quite a strong anti-smoking policy. And there are arguments for it and are arguments against it. But the worst argument against it that I can imagine is that lots of people work in the tobacco industry and in shops that sell yeah, tobacco. Yeah. So therefore you have to have you have to do nothing that it that damages that. Well, it doesn't make sense. You either think it's something that's good or something that's harmful. If you think it's something that's harmful the fact that it's a certain number of jobs dependent is really yeah. by the by. You find other jobs that, that are yeah. That, that I had this positive problem impact. a few months ago mm-hmm. when we banned GMOs because yeah. mm-hmm. uh, on the left I'm considered to be an outsider with the fact that I support GMOs. Right. And uh, some of the ideas, the reasons against banning, the reasons for banning GMOs mm-hmm. were ridiculous to me. There was nothing about safety of GMOs. There was nothing mm-hmm. about the problems with the chemicals or biodiversity or anything yeah. the whole reason that the official reason given was that we have uh an industry in scotland where we are considered a uh, clean eating and stuff like that mm-hmm. we've got clean food yeah. fresh things and yeah. the gmo thing i, I think sort of ruins that and i think that, this that is argument. an argument that, that that tends to get lost along the way because um you, you tend to have two sides talking past each other and the people who are in favour of uh, of making use of genetic modification technology are saying, but there's no evidence that that, that anything is wrong with this. There's no evidence that it, it, it won't work perfectly fine. And on the other side, the argument tends to be, um, there's no evidence that this is safe. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you can't have evidence that it's safe if you haven't tried the technology. Yeah. The difficulty is with that technology, if you try it and you introduce genetic modifications and they are out into the into the environment, you can't ever say, no, that's a bad idea, we'll take that back. Mm. Because you have made a change which is potentially a permanent change because it will 
worked through generations of crops and plants and everything else. So you could accidentally breed in some seriously damaging long-term consequences that you might not know about for a very long time. So it depends whether you think the principle is you you can use any technology you like unless there's a reason to think it's unsafe. Mm. Or the principle is you don't use a technology that's got the capacity to do huge harm um, unless you can prove that it won't do that harm. And those two things cross each other and they don't really meet as a debate. Same debate with nuclear power. You'll get people who say, but most of the British nuclear industry works very, uh, very efficiently, produces arguably relatively cheap, relatively low carbon energy. Uh, And other people will say, but it only has to go wrong once. Mm -hmm. It only has to go wrong once in a thousand years. And we'll all be wondering, why did we ever think that was a good plan? So (laughs) it it depends on people's perspective, I think. It depends if they're optimistic, pessimistic about the the potential of science. I think those those things have happened already. Like you were watching... About the scientific discoveries I had in the olden days. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where that turned well, it to I was be. young. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. We <laughs> the crazy people. What was the, crazy uh, the one about asbestos? They put it in food or something? Uh, they, they put uh, yeah. the, Ridiculous. Aye, and Although it's easy to say ridiculous now. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's it's only ridiculous when yeah. you know what harm it can that's do. It, yeah, yeah. if you don't know that it. it Things like mercury and some stuff, like mercury yeah. was mm-hmm. kind of. As we found out, extremely dangerous to have. Well, it, uh, well there's mercury in tuna. Uh, an, old, so it's, it's uh, not an, an older totally. member of my extended family, who shall remain nameless, was convinced her whole life that green was unlucky. You right. didn't have anything green in your house ever. And at first I thought, what's this about? Is this some kind of the the Irish thing? thing? <laughs> Is it a football thing? <laughs> but it's not. It goes back to the stage when there was arsenic in the makeup of green paint. Right. So people who slept in green rooms didn't live as long because the arsenic got into their system mm-hmm. and, they, and they had a higher death rate. That was so, one of the things. So people it? began to think, like her, 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 she wouldn't have known that was the reason. Oh, but yeah. They got it in their heads that oh, green was unlucky. Keep green things out of your house and you'll live longer. You probably would have if it meant you hadn't painted your walls yeah. green. You know, so... Um, I don't know why I started to tell you. There's, there's sometimes a kind of yeah, the, the, point the, to, the, the, to the... There's things that sound unreasonable that yeah. have a reasonable start, but yeah. just you never learn the outcome right. at the end. That's, That's right. right. That's uh, by the way, the reason that I brought up Nigel Farage uh-huh. uh, was that it was just a, I knew you weren't going to be a supporter of UK. Right. Would have but he did say mm-hmm. that uh, he felt Protestants mm-hmm. were the most prosecuted people in the UK. Now, right. okay. you, how much of that do you buy? Well, I think in Nigel Farage's usual style, it's a considerable overstatement of the truth. Uh, I think there are elements in which it is not necessarily comfortable to be, uh, to be a, a, a Christian in contemporary Britain in ways that you wouldn't expect. Now, I, I don't think that that amounts to persecution or anything like it, mm. but I do, th- you know, if you listen to the mainstream media, uh, there is a general perspective going on that, that comes across that if you are a practicing Christian, then the likelihood is you're some kind of nutter or extremist or fanatic. Yeah. And the whole mainstream of the kind of ordinary day-to-day Christianity that exists in large swathes of 
of, of the country still isn't isn't recognised as something that's part of the culture, you know. Um, so I, he, he may be referring to that. I don't know. I don't know the, the specific interview he gave or the quote he gave. Um, I, I wouldn't point say out that, that I said yeah. uh, prosecuted instead of persecuted. Yeah, that's my mistake. I'll that's okay. And you knew what you meant. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, some sometimes one leads to the other. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. But um, so uh, uh, examples might be there. Is, there is an agenda at the minute which seeks to keep um, Christian perspectives away from being heard. For example. Uh, in a lot of parts of the country, the idea that someone from a Christian background would be allowed to be in in the setting of a school is considered is considered problematic by a small group of fairly extreme secularists uh, who don't who generally don't represent many people beyond themselves. They're not part of big groups, um, but but they have a loud voice, um, and I think that's difficult, and I think that's unfortunate because seems to me that Christianity has a place in public discourse, as long as it's not saying you have to listen to us and we, yeah. we're, we're the only ones who are right. Where I would, that's you know, where I would that, my, my example would be, I've been going into schools for 20 years on and off. In those 20 years, I don't think I have ever told people what they should think. I have asked questions, raised questions. I've sometimes been honest about what my answer to those questions would be. But I've always tried to make it clear, but you have to make your own mind up. Um, so I don't think, I hope anyway, that nothing I've ever done in a, a high school or a primary school would be the sort of thing that people of any background would take offence at. And, and yeah. one of the things I'm particularly pleased about is that people from every background in, in this community will, will turn up to say a school service. Mm -hmm. The service in the church and the people who are uh, who are from a Protestant background, a Catholic background, a Muslim background, an atheist background—they'll all just turn up for the for the yeah. event because there's nothing in it that's inappropriate for the setting. Um, if somebody asks me a straight question about what I think about something, they'll get a straight answer. But those are the kind of things that I suspect are at risk from an agenda that says. Oh, keep religion out of everything. Keep it private. Keep it from people. Well, sorry, it's not private. The things that, you know, the things that Jesus said about how you treat people are not private. They're about how you treat everybody. They're about thing, you know. So, I, I guess that's where I would see that that yeah. comment coming from. I think there is definitely a changed climate in the twenty years that I've been around as to what's acceptable and what's not. Um, in as a as a way of society dealing with people from a faith background. So you're a, you're a question that you brought last week. I, I, I spoke to you briefly about mm -hmm. this earlier on, um, because we wanted to talk about the kind of the, the background of work that you do yeah. a lot of the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that interests me is uh, funerals, yes. mm -hmm. and uh, what was the setup for that? So obviously you've got right. a phone call, just somebody will be looking for right. to come down. Um, first of all, the setup is that as a parish minister, I'm available to take a funeral for anybody who asks me to, mm -hmm. whether they've got. A church connection or not, whether they've got any faith background or not, uh, if people if I'm if people want me to do a funeral, I'm available to do it. And if I'm not available, I'll, I'll arrange somebody who is. Um, I've probably done about twelve hundred funerals since I came to this area eighteen years ago. And um, when a funeral happens, families are entitled to ask anybody they like to conduct it. They can do it themselves. They can ask a minister, or a priest. They can ask a civil celebrant. Um, 
one of the things what we said earlier about uh, changing agenda is there would have been a time when it was assumed that the first port of call was usually mm-hmm. a parish minister if there was no other connection. Mm-hmm. Now the assumption is sometimes made, uh, oh, we'll get you a civil celebrant unless you have a church connection, which is the opposite of what it should be. And I don't mind people choosing any way to organise yeah. a funeral they like. I do mind if they're not told they've got an option, mm-hmm. especially if they're not told they've got an option that, that doesn't have a cost to them when a civil settlement will cost them oh, a few hundred so quid. It doesn't, it doesn't cost anything. There's no there's charge. No donation to the church. No, well, they, they can make a donation if they want, but there's no charge. Right. So nobody is ever in a situation that um, they can't afford to have a minister come to a funeral because it, it doesn't cost anything. Right. If we do a service in the church, we don't make a charge either. We'll, we'll pay an organist to be able to heat and light. If they make a contribution towards it, fine. If they don't, fine. Um, we've borne that cost. Um, so... And when that happens, when, when I'm asked to do a service, what I'll normally do is arrange to meet with members of the family, just sit down and chat, talk, you know, mm-hmm. talk about the person, get a, a gather information uh, in a kind of, in as relaxed a way as you can make it in that kind of situation. And then I'll take that together and construct it into a service that I'll build in with, as far as I can, with readings that'll fit for the person, if I can find some, uh, with, with prayers, if they want them with hymns or other music. Um, so that w- really I'm just reflecting on somebody's life in the context of my understanding of Christian faith mm-hmm. um, I'm not telling people what to think I'm not in a position to say anybody's personal views, relationships, anything else I'll just reflect people as they are I'll tr- I always try to do that in a way that's honest and open I won't say anything that I know not to be true mm-hmm. if I get told somebody is a or was a cantankerous old so-and-so, I'm not going to say, I knew he was a lovely man. You know, because yeah. if, if you lie, people know. Yeah. You tell yeah, the yeah. truth. You tell the truth in the nicest way you can tell it, but you tell the truth. Um, or you tell, you know, if there was something that was probably a difficult characteristic for a long you can tell it in a way that's maybe humorous but but recognise like, or like something if, like if somebody was a miserable person you'd be like oh you could probably just get away with saying it was drastic. a bit of a miserable bastard sort of thing you could say it in that sense well, rather than yeah the, 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 the way to say it would be you know you, you all knew Jimmy as he was and uh, you know how disappointed he would be that he's buying all of you a drink when we get back to the hotel after <laughs> you you would do something like that reflected the characteristic but doesn't say anything bad about the person yeah, 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 but it's yeah. identifiable that, that's you'd be a rubbish minister I know I'd be terrible well <laughs> that's fine so my job's safe yeah <laughs> definitely, definitely. But, you know, those are, I think that's an important thing because it's a stage when families often need somebody to put their thoughts into words and they don't um, very often they won't believe all of the specific stuff that I will use. They might not have a direct connection to the maybe to to some of the underlying Christian beliefs that make me stand up and say stuff. But if you if they spot that you talk human, um, that you can that you've listened to them and been caring about the member of their family, then that in itself is worth doing and makes a difference. So it's one of the things I find strangely satisfying. I mean, you don't want to be at lots of funerals, but at the same time, yeah, yeah. you can act. People go to families and say, oh, tell me if I can do anything to help. Well, actually, I can do something to help. I can take your thoughts and put them into words for you when you're not going to be in a position to stand up and say them. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it might not be much, but it's not also not nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that's how I understand what's going on with that. That's perfect. That's you had one more question. Yeah. Could you remind me what it was? It was about a, well, when 
when you're sort of considered a spokesperson. Oh, I, I, I oh, totally. Right, yeah. um, mm-hmm. When you when you're considered as a spokesman and in some mm-hmm. ways kind of a direct link to God to some people. Right. Mm-hmm. Like a, if you go to like a, a meal with somebody, you mm-hmm. manage to meet people. Is there a certain aspect of people act differently towards you? There can be. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on the setting and how well they know you, probably. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes people will assume that you'll have a particular set of perspectives or ideas just mm-hmm. based on a, on a title. Yeah, I don't um, know. Generally people, who don't, generally, people who don't know you. Um, uh, and quite often those those people are the ones who have the sense of shock coming over their face when you say something they think is totally inappropriate. You know, but, um, so Again, me. Uh, but, well, <laughs> fine, but you know, the, the, again, the, the truth is people who do my kind of job, not different from anybody else, they're yeah. just... Mm-hmm. Ordinary people with a particular perspective on life that they think is worth sharing, doing that in a way that is as helpful and positive as they can. People who see a minister or a priest as somebody separate from them or somebody with a different relationship with God to them have kind of missed the point. Yeah. I mean, my job is to get is not to be some kind of go-between between people and God. My job is to get them thinking. I would much rather get people to pray for themselves and to listen to me praying I would much rather get people to read the Bible for themselves and think what it might mean and what it might say to them than to, to hear me explain it you know, so what I'm really doing is trying to get people to make their own relationships um, second hand relationships don't really work you know yeah. you, 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 mm. you you're not really Love friends. Him. You're not really friends with your friend's friend, yeah. you know, unless you meet them yourself and get to know them. And it's it's like that. I don't see myself as any kind of go between. But if I can help people to make to, to think for themselves or to even make space for themselves or something spiritual in their lives, then that that's useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you you do get the strange uh, strange assumptions every now and again. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking thinking about that before. Mm. There was a. <clears throat> I can't remember what I was watching. It was something that made me get that idea. I'm sure it was some sort of podcast we're talking about. Uh, Pete. Mm-hmm. They were talking about um, uh, Catholic priests a lot of the time. When right. they go to, they're seen as this kind of uh, sort of stairway to God and stuff like yeah. that. And use that to their advantage sometimes well, in certain ways. Yes. Um, We've also seen the, the challenges that that can bring. If mm-hmm. you put people in untrammeled positions of power... Yeah. Most people will use that well, and the odd person here and that then there will use that very badly. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, we've seen that in lots of circumstances. So, mm-hmm. um, the less the less people kind of put me in some position of authority and power, the happier I am. Yeah, the less likely I am to stuff things up for anybody else. Yeah, you know, um, you take responsibility for yourself instead yeah, of oh, an that, entire. That's that's right, that's right. And also, I mean, everybody's got feet of clay. Everybody can do things that that are wrong now I would be particularly worried I mean if, if I was to do what one of my predecessors did a couple of hundred years ago uh, go out to visit somebody on a Saturday night get absolutely blind drunk ride backwards through Kenway on a horse singing at the top of my voice um, I would get you back would, on the podcast that would that would get me another podcast <laughs> wouldn't it that would get me back yes. on uh, but yeah, it would probably get me sacked but the, the, the thing is and, and, it, and it should but what it shouldn't do is to damage other people's yep. faith because it's not about that. Because it's, it's, if their faith's in me, they've missed the point. Yeah. Um, if they're 
you know, because the faith doesn't mean they're going to be disappointed because they'll make as many mistakes as everybody else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their faith needs to, if it's going to be in anything, it has to be in God. Um, and, you know, I'll, does that make sense? No, that, that's, no, no, that makes sense. Um, yeah. uh, I, I, I'm quite keen not to be seen as an authority mm-hmm. figure. I'm always slightly uncomfortable, for example, when you go into a school and you get introduced as we have a special visitor. Like, no, you don't. You've got the guy who comes in week by week. <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, so, or you know, so that that can be. It does go with the territory. You know, mm-hmm. I've always avoided being a platform sitter. I really hate that. Yeah. Um, if if I can find a way not to sit on a platform while people hand out prizes, I will always do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a very important engagement washing my hair that night. You know, whatever it might be, but um. Because I don't really want to be seen in that sense. I mean, you've got counsellors for that, or people like that can do those yeah. jobs. Uh, you don't. I don't. Doesn't seem to me my role. Um, but everybody's different. That's that's how I understand what I'm doing. So I had one uh, one last yeah. thing to ask before Craig kind of goes in these tirades of okay. questions. Mm-hmm. Um, we've not got long left, so we've got, we'll I've only got one. All right, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Um, the what have these things that, that people come up to you and make a sort of certain joke all the time? For instance, my name, my nickname is Scuba. Yeah. So every time I hear somebody, somebody comes up to me, they always ask, oh, you're into scuba diving and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Oh. You've been a reverend. Mm-hmm. There's going to be these jokes that people use yeah. all the time. There is one really My weak... My nubs, probably. Yes. Yeah? Okay, absolutely. There's one really weak, pathetic joke mm-hmm. that drives every minister in the world mad. And it's people who will come up and think it's funny to sit you know, when you're doing something um, in a school or at a funeral service or at a wedding. Say, oh, I thought you only work one day a week, and I thought that wasn't even funny the first oh, fifteen thousand times. And you, know, uh, quite often you get it at a stage when you might have done fourteen, fifteen days in the trot without managing to get get an hour <laughs> off, and you and you you think well. What, what do you think happens? Do you think I just walk in on a Sunday morning, stand up, and a service happens by magic that nobody's thought of, prepared or organised? Do you think that, um, you know, uh, when you kind of recognise the kind of time skills that go into just the preparation? I mean, an Irish talking probably takes three hours writing, on roughly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you put into the, the, the time frame that you spend maybe visiting people or going to hospitals or just organising funerals, weddings, organising baptisms, uh, being in and out of schools, do, talking to groups, whatever's going on. Um, doing amazing podcasts. Well, doing amazing podcasts, exactly. <laughs> you know, you think all, you do all that and you kind of think, have you, have you really not got something better than that particular? And I bet they laugh when they're saying yeah. it as well. Yeah. And they think it's, oh, they, 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 they think it's funny because nobody else would have said that to you before. So if anybody's <laughs> listening... Hate those people. If anybody's listening who thinks that's a funny joke, keep it to yourself. That's it. <laughs> it's, uh, oh. it's, a, it's a common thread <laughs> with a lot of people with certain jobs that yeah. get that kind of mm-hmm. the same thing happening all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, aye. that's one thing I wanted to find out because it was just. So yeah. we're we're pretty much finished with God right. stuff okay. at this point. So now okay. we're on a Mister Baxter as okay. a person. Well, what's your what's Richard your, Richard Baxter? Richard I knew Baxter. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A music. What kind of music are you into? Are you into, are you into hip hop? No, I'm not into hip hop. You're not into hip hop. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. a wee bit of self titled I'm, I'm not. I'm not really a great hip hop fan. My my kind of music from when I was when I was younger I was always into kind of stuff like. Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen was my music when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm into uh, Scottish folk music and Irish folk music. So we're going to see a folk band on Saturday. Who are you going to see? It's a folk band. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a band that they were originally a punk band, but it, well, there was two different punk mm -hmm. bands, and they kind of come together to do like sort of traditional. You yeah. and, uh, oh, you heard folk that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we've got to see them. Totally missed when you said that. So I know. Right. I mean, I, I would kind of like stuff like I would listen to kind of gentle stuff like Julie Filas or maybe kind of a few of the kind of livelier kind of Kelly band things that kind of stuff I enjoy mm -hmm. my, my tastes are fairly wide I, I can't really go a lot of kind of the kind of poppy pop stuff that no uh, you're not into that, that. Yeah. Uh, but you, I mean, you've not got a Cradle of Filth album no I haven't funny enough I'm sure you're going to like me have you heard <laughs> Cradle of Filth no have you heard I, I'll be honest and say no, no, no that's fine. <laughs> they're a bit, they're a bit it a, sounded like you like might have heard of them they're a bit not good for Christian right. people. Does, doesn't sound like I'm going to be playing as the warm up on no, Sunday no. morning. Okay, that's fine. You do maybe a bit slayer. You do actually get there is a there is a Christian bands, mm. but they are yeah. like mm. um, like really like heavy metal. Yes, there's sort there's some there are, gothic. Uh, there, there are type. There are Christian bands in there in every in every yeah. kind of sphere of music. But truthfully, I work on the basis. You know, there's a part of music that I like, and you know, mm. and. I'm, I'm prepared. I'm prepared to be honest and say my taste in music isn't particularly uh, <laughs> likely to get me any cool points. Um, and my guilty secret, my guilty pleasure, is uh, to the disgust of my family. I have uh, <laughs> a, a, a once in a blue moon. I'll sit down and listen to country music, and they hate it. They absolutely hate nothing it. wrong with I this, country music. I have this. I have this um, album on my iPod that I listen to occasionally, which is called. Which is, First Ladies of Country, and some of it is the worst draws you can imagine. But you know, I will I will put that on full blast at certain stages, and everybody in my family leaves the house. They can't. I can imagine it. you dancing with <laughs> country like. But uh, so that, that, that's that's the guilty secret. Yeah, that's the guilty <laughs> secret. Um, I do a bit of musical theatre stuff. I mean, I do the the even amateur musical. Uh, but I do that because it's fun, not because I like musical theatre. That's not my thing right, at all. Right. No. So you said you said you wrote Strike a Light. Yeah. Have you wrote any other? Yeah, you, I've written you a got few like... songs. I mean, truthfully, most of the songs that I write are for specific occasions or situations. I've written quite a few kids' songs mm -hmm. that I've used in schools. But it tends like, to be for the minister work or child some of it. But I write, I mean, I write some of my own stuff as well. I mean, yeah. and I've I've uh, I've occasionally kind of put a few songs most of them don't get any kind of public airing one or two of them have over the years though. I, mean, I used to run a folk club in the college I was in when I was uh, a student and I would uh, so so my, my big claim to fame is that I once played on the same bill as Squeeze and Imagination yeah. uh, but it was at a college ball oh, and yeah. they, were, they were Squeeze is Jules Holland's band oh right, uh, right. right, right. and Ima Imagination were a kind of disco band in the right, 70s and right. 80s but that, having said that, they were playing on a big stage in a big tent in this in this college, and I was playing in a cupboard. But having, <laughs> but, but as far as I'm concerned, I was on the same bill as them, yeah. so that's my claim to fame. So you, you, a few you've folk never songs. put together a wee EP or an album or anything like that. No, uh, one of the teachers in Kirkland High School, unknown the to enemy. unknown to me, recorded me. Oh. Uh, when they, they they had me singing at a, it was actually a kind of remembrance assembly. And I was telling this kind of uh, folk song called "The Greenfields of France," um, and and he, unknown to me, he recorded it, burned it onto a CD with a fancy cover and all the rest of it, and passed me it. And I thought, wait a minute, this is not where <laughs> this is not where I'm comfortable. This is not. Yeah, but, uh, 
Well, so if you ever think about recording, we've got the vocal okay. set up there. Good. And mm. uh, we're, we're kind of sorted for recording instruments. So right. if you ever change your mind, good. Well, it's always free. It's, it's always free. Good to know. So, right, uh, just before you go, could you explain, go through a kind of typical day? Wow, a typical day is a difficult mm. one to guess, but um, let, let me go. Not untypical would be something like this. Um, I might start off by writing and preparing a funeral service and then going and delivering it and going from that into a primary school to do a bouncing do, do about you, class. Do you, do you write at home or do yes. you have an office that you work in? I, I, write, I write at home. Right, right. Um, I write at home and I have a bad habit of writing at the last minute. I, right, don't, right. I can't write a week in advance. I have to write up to the wire. If my printer ever breaks, I'm going to be in big trouble because you know I, I tend to to print and before the ink's dry, I've got it out the door to to do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's a bad habit, but it is what I do. Uh, so that might be so quite quite often I'll be doing that. Uh, I might then be seeing a couple of people in hospital or at home and doing some kind of meeting or mm-hmm. uh, committee or group or thing at night. Um, so that would be a not untypical day. Um, and stop off for a fantastic t- toasty. <laughs> Which is some of you. That were, was one of the where, these, the the coffee right at the back of the church at St Kenneth's. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the toasties. I always remember the, when I was the, the, the smart hall. Yeah, that's right. Um, I we, we do we do cook lunches once once a week on a Tuesday. Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still I mean, a Tuesday. It's still a Tuesday. Yeah, and, and usually in a typical week, I think probably about. Sixty people will. I think a lot. Of, a lot of the teachers well, come down. They, they did not so much now because their right. t- their lunch times have have changed. But it's one of the right. places. I mean, in a village like Kenaway, there are not very many places for people to meet. Yeah. No. I mean, until recently, in in my whole parish area with seven and a half thousand people in it, if you wanted a cup of coffee, you could sit in the window of Stuart's Cafe in the one table they've got there, and there is now, in the last year, a cafe down in. In Windy Gates, oh, yeah. but actually, I didn't even know that. In terms, you know, and that, it's quite small say, as well, that's actually. in an area for seven and a half thousand people. Yeah. So, if you're an older person in this area, or you're, uh, say, a, a parent who who stays at home or something like that, the places you can go and meet other people are extremely limited. Mm. Um, so one of the things churches need to do is to be one of those places to to give people options. And therefore, all the social things that are in there, like for example, we'll do a, an afternoon tea once a month for the older people in the community called Chatterbox, and maybe end up to seventy people will pitch up because they know their pals are going to be there, yeah. the ones they don't mm. see from one month to the That's next. That's a good tournament. So, they'll, yeah. so they'll all be there together, and they can do a big catch up in one go. Mm. Similarly with the lunches, I mean, most of the people who come to the lunches aren't connected to the church. Mm. It's just there's a place the that toasties. Can go. Toasties. Yeah, they're good. Yeah, they're good. The toasties are good. I'll, I will recommend the toasties. Uh, you know. <laughs> And, and find, well. finding finding the ways to make those opportunities for people are quite important to any kind of sense of community, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to grow and grow and grow as part of what churches do, um, because the other opportunity. I mean, look around Kenway. I mean, uh, the pubs are closing at a, and the clubs are closing at a rate of knots. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, rurals turned into a um, a restaurant. The Burns Tavern has gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Legion. Looks a bit wobbly to the me. Uh, Legion, uh, the community Legion has gone. Uh, golf clubs, uh, bone clubs, still busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Masonic. The, don't know yeah, how much they get in there? Don't don't really know. But you know, mm-hmm. the, but the places that people could go and meet 
are reducing and reducing and reducing. Mm-hmm. And therefore, church is providing at least some meeting places for people who yeah. are quite important. Um, the school as well, I mean, there's lots of stuff in the school for kids. Yeah. Um, if you're older, you can't get up that hill, so it's no use to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though it's community-use school, truthfully, the community activities are mostly children's rather than adults. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I don't even know what they're there, but there's primary school in a I've not seen a leaflet for a while. I haven't seen there's, there's music classes and cooking groups mm-hmm. and after-school clubs and things, but um, as I say, it's, it's all right if you can access it. Yeah. But oh, yeah. older people it. can't walk to there, so... That's it. Yeah. Well, that's you got anything else? Eh, but no, it was just but, but what is it? What you're into? Films and oh, yeah, well, what about right. hobbies and stuff? What kind of things do you uh, do? Uh, with? Couple, various things. Uh, uh, once in a blue moon, I'll play play a bit of golf badly. Um, I do you leave a golf club? Yeah, yeah. I take part in uh, the amateur musical and leave uh, for some reason, I usually seem to get typecast as the person with any random violence that has to be done in a show. Never to, never to sing or say anything. You know, for years, I wouldn't I wouldn't take part because my wife was in it. And I thought, singing and talking in front of people is my job. Why would I do that for fun? Yeah. And then gradually realised that a lot of things I did socially were with people who were in that group anyway. So it. it just it, it made sense to, to join them rather than try to beat them. Um, <laughs> so uh, I've been doing that for a few years. Um like to do a bit of walking I kind of like to disappear along one of the beaches or up a hill somewhere mm-hmm. um, and probably I say I will escape with music occasionally but, mm. yeah. you said you're interested in boring history yeah what was it What was it you said you studied I, I studied um, the alehouse and the authorities in 17th century Wiltshire it was that's the, really it's about the regulation niche. about the regulation of pubs <laughs> And about whether it was different in different bits of the county because they had different kinds of agriculture, which meant a different social structure. Right. Mm-hmm. So did you get did you get jumped on more if you were in a kind of arable farming area, where the la- the, the equivalent of the laird, the landlord was controlling things pretty tightly, mm-hmm. than you did in an area that was kind of dairy farming and cloth producing because those were much smaller units, um, mm-hmm. and people were more independent, so were they freer to kind of have a wilder time in the local yeah. areas. That's that's what it was about. Fascinating <laughs> stuff. I, I did not even know that was uh, uh, a course. Yeah. Usually the end It's not a course. I mean, no. it was just research. All oh, right. I was writing a thesis on that. All oh, right. Uh, right. The the, the, res- the research notes for which are still in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of the time on these podcasts, is the end is usually used for if I've forgotten stuff we want to bring up. Okay. And uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up was scheduling yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, there's no lot of time you could fit in, like for your mm. own sort of personal time. Yes. Mm. Yeah, because you are you scheduled like throughout the week, like the whole seven days. Well, first of all, I do my own scheduling, so nobody right. else is telling me when. It, well, I right. suppose I suppose if I decided I wasn't pitching up for services on a Sunday morning, I'd get in trouble fairly soon. But yeah. you know, most of my week, it's for me to schedule in a way that I think fits. Mm-hmm. So, if I do too much, it's usually my fault because I've put too much in, right. or tried to make make gaps between events that are. 10 miles apart work when they don't work uh, so it it can be fairly heavily scheduled at some stages of the year some parts are quieter like the summer months have got less that's usually diaried in because um, there are less activities going on and that's usually the time to catch up to see all the people you don't see other, other bits I would there. imagine Christmas is quite that's frantic quite yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. in December there are usually more services than there are days um, wow so uh, now, 
a lot of that isn't hard because you know exactly what you're going to be talking about. So I mean, uh, the same sort of. Yeah, I mean, the people. Quite often, what people want at that kind of stage of the year is the familiarity of songs mm-hmm. they know. And I mean, you're, you're telling a core story in hopefully a reasonably creative way in different times. You know, but so so those things aren't hard. That that's that's when the scheduling's difficult to get to all the events. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are very easy. You're just sitting at them and maybe responding to what a group are, are doing or you, you turn up at an old folks lunch and chatting to people or something like that. Um, but it, you just have to be quite careful with your time and you have to be careful to schedule in some things that are not work. Um, uh, because it, it would be easy to schedule every minute of every day. And yeah. you, have, you have to specifically not um, yeah. schedule in family time or time just to do fun things or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's, that was one of the questions what? I forgot earlier on. So, so well, good. thanks for coming in. It's okay. been, it's Thank been you very much. I've enjoyed it. Extremely interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was seeing Richard again. A lot of people are going to be shocked that we've got a minister. I, know, well, this, I, mm-hmm. I said to Richard before because there's been atheists. Uh, anybody that mm-hmm. mentioned Richard Baxter was coming in. I'm like, what? Why have you done that? I thought you were an atheist. <laughs> and I'm like, but, but the podcast isn't is about. No. Uh, isn't about what we believe or anything like that. It's about. The mm. people behind yeah. the sort of things that you do, because obviously what you do is pretty unusual to a lot of people. Yes, that's and right. it was to get the mm. get the kind of gist of what yes. you do as mm. a as a human. Yes, basically. absolutely. Well, hopefully, we've been respectful enough. We've absolutely, been... yes, I've enjoyed it. It's been a, it's been been a good catch up. <laughs> Excellent, man. Uh, thank Excellent. you very much.